This is the Mailbox Money Podcast, and I am Bronson Hill. As a busy professional, I wrestled with how to grow my income without taking up more of my precious time. I learned that managing real estate, actively trading stocks, or being unable to scale up investments is not passive investing. This is the place where you'll discover new asset classes, develop investing skills, and learn from experts how to become financially free with less work than you thought possible. And now, get ready for truly passive income. All right, so if you're a passive investor, it's always important that you continually refine what your strategy is, particularly as things are changing, right? The Fed is raising rates. Real estate has changed. Payments, if you are buying single-family houses, have gone up substantially. So I think when you look at strategy, it's really important to talk to really smart people that are really uh, you know, trying to get ahead of the, the curve and saying, well, what really is going to look good in six to 12 months or two years or five years? Or what's this going to look like? And so my friend, Marco Centarelli, we've known each other for a few years. He's just an awesome guy. He's got a podcast called Passive Real Estate Investing. It's an awesome podcast. Hope you check it out. His book, The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing. He's adding a lot of value to the space. So Marco, welcome. How are you today? Hey, Bronson, I'm doing great. It's good to be back on your show. Thank you very much. Awesome, man. Well, I, I appreciate, like I said, all the stuff you're adding to this space, but your, uh, your passion and my passion are very similar, uh, are about passive investing. So would you just talk, walk us through a little bit about your uh, kind of your background and how you got to really love passive investing as much as you do? Yeah, I mean, long story short, when I was a teenager, I just kind of fell in love with the whole idea of creating wealth. You know, I just realized that there were people out there that didn't need to work. And I thought that was fascinating. Like my both my parents were working, my mother working two jobs to make ends meet. So I mean, I didn't come up come up from a wealthy family. So I kind of started studying money, if you will. And what intrigued me was businesses and uh, real estate. So I spent a couple of years as a teenager just educating myself. And then I know this sounds like amazing to some people, but when I turned 18, I bought my first rental property. Wow. And that's huge. It, it, yeah. it is a big deal in hindsight, but at the time I just thought this is what I need to do. So when I became an adult at the age of 18, I could qualify for financing. And that's what I had to wait for It's literally become an adult uh, to, to buy my first rental. So the writing was on the wall. But I didn't really think about it in terms of active and passive income or active and passive investing at the time. I just thought, okay, you know, business is where you should be because you can make a lot of money owning and running a business, which is true. And, you know, it's something we can certainly talk about. But when you look at what a lot of wealthy people do, oftentimes they have a business, a side hustle, small business, maybe a large business with employees, but they take profit from that business and they funnel it into real estate because real estate is a great preservation vehicle for, for wealth. So they make money and then they deploy those funds into hard assets like real estate, because it does two things. One, it pervert, preserves your wealth. It preserves the purchasing power of the dollar. And second, it also creates wealth long-term. So you, you don't necessarily need to make a lot of money or own a business to become wealthy if you can invest in real estate, because that will take care of itself. It's just, if you own a business and you invest in real estate, it's kind of a fast track to wealth creation. So I, I learned that early on, but I never really thought about it in terms of passive income. But I knew that time freedom, which is ultimately what I wanted, <clears throat> came from financial freedom. And financial freedom required passive income to achieve. So it's really, if you work it backwards, what we ultimately want is not financial freedom, it's time freedom, but it, it requires that financial freedom 
um, and and the passive income to achieve it. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think a lot of people, like you said, they want financial freedom, but they really want is time. And that's something I've watched when I was still making good money in a job. When I was able to leave my job a year and a half ago, it was it would just open up so many doors. Like I've tried six international trips this year, most of them just for fun. And just being able to do things, spend time with people that I want, work where I want, be able to go look at deals and this kind of stuff. Take us back for a minute. So you're 18 years old and you qualified. Did you have to get a co-signer? Like did one of your parents co-sign or did you, because I know you, a lot of times, even to get a credit card, there has to be kind of some sort of credit history. So you were 18, you'd save money. Was this like a, a house in, I know you're in Southern California. Was this in the area? Was this like a, a really cheap house in Cleveland? Like, can you give us a little more story of like how you did that with that, that first house? It, it was out of state. It was where I grew up in my hometown, um, but I did not need to get a co-signer. Uh, the reason is, is because I worked for a grocery store at the time. I was uh, stocking shelves and uh, because they had their own credit union, it kind of helped out a little bit. But I, to a large degree, I still would have been able to qualify with enough of a down payment and um, um, and good credit. And again, you know, government subsidized financing, just like, you know, our, our conventional financing, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. I mean, at the end of the day, these are government sponsored entities. They're, they're, they're subsidized to a large degree uh, by the secondary market and the federal government. So it makes the qualification criteria that much easier. Now, if I was going out to get maybe a car loan or some, or like a signature loan, it might've required um, a co-signer just because it needed someone else's backing. But because it's real estate and, and there's collateral and you're putting a down payment and the bank can foreclose and go back and take the asset, it's easier to qualify because they're not only qualifying you, but they're qualifying or underwriting the asset. And it wasn't in a bad neighborhood. It was it was actually in a, in, in a kind of a middle low income neighborhood that was stable. I mean, it wasn't, there was nothing sexy or exciting about it. It just, it was just a, an average neighborhood. Right. Okay. That's cool. I always love to hear stories, how people get started when people start really young like that. That's awesome. Um, so, so over the years, did you, did you continue straight in real estate or did you have another career that you did for a while until you had enough passive income to be able to retire or how, what was kind of the next step after that? Or how did you kind of get that I, I was a serial entrepreneur with many, many failures. Okay. <laughs> But that's what a lot of entrepreneurs do. You know, they just yeah. throw mud on the wall, and, and some eventually something will stick. Um, but the but the beautiful thing about being an entrepreneur and failing is you can learn from your mistakes because the lessons are actually in the mistakes, not the successes. You know, it's it's it, it can be easy to duplicate your successes, but when you have failures, there's a lesson there every single time. And if you learn from those lessons, you know what to do differently or better the next time around. Um, but look, most most entrepreneurs don't succeed the first time around or even the second. They they keep trying, they keep trying. And it's, it's, it's the school of hard knocks. And for many people, it's really uh, street smart education, not book smart education. And, and that's really where I came from. I just kept trying and trying with different, you know, different types of businesses and in different industries, not knowing where my core expertise lay, but uh, ultimately figured it out, um, um, you know, somewhat by accident, but, you know, it was real estate. I combined entrepreneurship with real estate. And, and I just found that was where you know, the two spheres intersected for me. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing when you find out kind of what you're here to do and what works. I mean, I remember I had, I shared this publicly, but I have my, uh, my options trading strategy that I tried for a while and I ended up losing my net worth was only like 200 K, but I lost like 70 K in one day. And I remember just feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm such a failure. I'm so terrible. But I really, I learned something. I learned that I am not a good options trader. And, and then there are other things that are better for me. But then when I discovered real estate and working with investors and people, I just I, I learned that okay, I, I can do 
this is a much more safe, predictable investment. But uh, Robert Kiyosaki has this book and it's called Before You Quit Your Job. And I literally, I recommend it to anybody before they leave their job, but he describes like being an employee is like, you can't make any mistakes because if you make mistakes, like you get fired. You make too many mistakes, you get fired. Well, as an entrepreneur, you got to make a lot of mistakes. And then what you said, it's your ability to quickly learn, right? To learn, make adjustments, describes it as jumping out of an airplane without a parachute and trying to assemble one before you hit the ground. So it's kind of like, it seems like over time, you kind of figured out how you're going to do it and you create a soft landing for yourself, which is good. Um, so talk to me, I, I know your passion is passive investing, which I love. I can tell over the conversations we've had over the years that you're a strategist, you're looking at all different things of, you know, it doesn't matter necessarily what the investment is. It matters what it does for you. I think you and I both love real estate because there's some unfair advantages, some tax advantages. There's just, you know, inflation hedges, other things like this, which you brought up. Uh, you know, what, what are some, like, I think there's some new strategies that investors have to look at now. What do you, how do you think just kind of the traditional passive investing model has changed or is it changing or do you see it's just the same thing and it just looks a little different or are you seeing any changes that are, that passive investors really need to pay attention to right now? <clears throat> Um, there's probably a lot of questions rolled into that one. <laughs> I asked you 10 questions in one. That's my gift of like, so <laughs> yeah. take it whatever way you want to take it. Um, the idea of, of passive income hasn't changed. The concept of passive investments probably hasn't changed. The strategies can change, but, um, but where do you find that passive income? You know, that, that could be you know, I kind of look at it as a three-legged stool, actually four-legged if you really want to include promissory notes, which, you know, is what one of our companies offers. So I look at it this way, businesses, like if we were talking about this, businesses can become passive income um, uh, vehicles because if you build a viable business and you replace yourself out of that business where you have employees that essentially run it, then you don't have a job anymore. You have a business, which is an asset and that can generate passive income. You get, you know, call it distributions, whatever you want to call it. Um, real estate can create the same thing. You know, you build a portfolio of real estate over time, the rents increase, your cash flows increase, that's passive income. Now, you know, it's not completely passive. You have property management, unless you're managing it yourself, but you have property management. So you're like managing the managers. Um, <clears throat> those are the two most important asset classes because those can be great hedges against inflation and provide um, solid uh, income and wealth creation. The third and fourth leg of that stool for me is, uh, and you know, some people are going to listen to this and say, what? Yeah. Um, is our crypto assets, um, not cryptocurrency, crypto assets, certain ones. Now they don't necessarily generate passive income. They can, if you know, and that's a, maybe a topic for another day, but there are certain crypto assets you can stake and generate a yield from, and that generates passive income. And again, it's also, a, again, long term of hedge against inflation. Historically, that's what it's proven to be. Fourth is what I'll refer to as high yield promissory notes, which is what one of my companies offers through Norada Capital. Um, you know, you can earn up to 15% per year or more uh, from those promissory notes that are essentially two to three year, as many as seven year notes, uh, you know, at the choice of the investor, they, they choose the term, but that's just monthly predictable income. So that's also passive income. In fact, notes in general, regardless of whether they're you notes know, on, on cars, boats, uh, homes, which are mortgage, mortgage loans or mortgage notes, those are very good force or uh, forms of passive income. Uh, a lot of people don't, really think about it that way, you know, they think of, of investing in real estate as an example through the asset of buying an apartment building 
you know, through a syndication. By the way, syndications are actually good forms of passive income too. Um, but again, you're investing in the asset class of real estate. That is passive income, uh, but you're investing either through a syndication or through a note of some kind. Anyway, I, I could go on and on about this, but those are really the four categories that I look at when it comes to passive income. And, and you just have to decide, you know, what resonates with you, where do you want to put, you know, your investable capital and how do you want to split your portfolio up between those? Yeah. You mentioned one that I thought was really interesting. And of course they're all very interesting because, you know, they generate passive cash flow, which is awesome. But you talked about, you know, uh, crypto assets. I, uh, we have obviously blockchain is kind of the underlying technology. I emceed the blockchain and real estate summit and Austin, Texas this year, which was great, but uh, I'm familiar with cryptocurrency and I'm familiar with blockchain technology, but what are crypto assets? Can you define how that's different than cryptocurrency? Well, a crypto a crypto asset is something that is not a medium of exchange. A lot of people refer to crypto as cryptocurrency because they think, oh, we're going to buy some Bitcoin. I'll use it to buy a pizza right. <laughs> or whatever it is, right? Now, 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 technically you can. You could use Bitcoin to purchase any kind of goods or service, as long as the, the selling party accepts Bitcoin. I mean, if you've got Bitcoin, you could certainly trade it in, in like a fraction of a second and make a payment. Um, but what I call crypto assets are things that are, are as defined by most other people, an asset, something you buy, hold, has value and, and, and can increase or decrease in value, just like stock. So Bitcoin would be an example. Ethereum would be an example. Solana. You know, all these what they call level, layer one uh, crypto assets or blockchain technologies, they have a price. You can buy and sell them just like stocks. You could buy and sell them at a particular price. Prices changes by, you know, by the hour, by the minute. Uh, so if you hold that asset, uh, you can sell that asset. And so that's what it, a crypto asset is. If I buy Bitcoin today at $20,000 and, you know, let's say six months from now, it's worth $22,000. Well, I could sell it for $22,000 and make a $2,000 gain. Uh, so, so that is what I mean by a crypto asset. It's something that is, has value and can be traded. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. I think there, yeah, it, there's you more of cryptocurrency holding it as an investment. And of course there's staking opportunities and other things people can do. And of course in the blockchain, there's all kinds of, you know, virtual real estate and NFTs and all this stuff that's going on mm -hmm. and gets really creative, but um, well, let's talk about, let's come back to real estate a little bit, because for a lot of people, that's a very understandable asset class and either they own a house, a couple of houses, um, you know, what, you know, what do you think is, is if somebody's maybe they have a rental house or they've got a couple of them and they're like, you know, I'd love to do more or, but, you know, getting into something that is a little more passive, because even if you, if you're running things yourself, or maybe you're the manager, you're fixing things up, like what are ways people can get more comfortable? Because some people they don't feel comfortable unless they're actually having some control over some of the day-to-day -day decisions. And if you're passive, it's more like one of our syndications. It's like you make the choice to invest and then you're pretty passive, right? You just get the cash flow, the mailbox money, which is obviously the name of the show. So what uh, what do you see kind of people, it kind of helps people get kind of in their minds to the point of like, oh, actually I can see myself actually passive invest, passively investing in a deal that I don't really necessarily have control over, or maybe I have less control over it. Well, obviously that's a mental issue <laughs> <laughs> it's mindset right? <laughs> it's it is all about mindset look if you are o ocd or you are uh, a person that needs to have that control then you're probably the one who's going to be driving the deal underwriting it and and making the decisions and being involved uh wow. this is true for syndicators syndicators 
by definition are 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 the active investors in a deal and they're bringing in partners as limited partners to raise capital and, and do bigger deals so you just need to ask yourself at whatever point in time in you in your life you are do i want to be doing finding the deals running the deals funding the deals and doing all the work or do i want to continue doing what i do with my job or career you know spending my time with my family and just making as much money as i can but deploying that investment capital into other people's deals or investments whether it's your syndication or our promissory notes or a reit or whatever so you just need to you know you need to ask yourself the question do i want to be an active investor or a passive investor uh and if you don't know then you kind of have to maybe start defining what your investment goals are you know be be more clear with yourself as what types of uh, assets you want to be in and what kind of returns you you expect maybe you can't find them on your own or maybe you can and you can't find them as a passive investment so uh um, you know there's no black and white answer to your question it, it really is the individual do you want to be active or do you want to be passive do you have the time to be an active investor do you have the core expertise the knowledge to 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 do a syndication or invest in a particular asset if you don't then you need to rely on partners or partnerships like syndications or REITs or a fund like Norada Capital or whatever it is. So it's really individual by individual. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I reason I asked the question, I've had you know 1,300 one-on-one phone calls with investors. And a lot of times it's like most of the people haven't invested passively in anything. And it's just like, it is a mind shift and it is mindset. I think for a lot of people, it's just getting to the point of, okay, I've looked at 10 deals or I've looked at this number, I just need to like either get stuck in analysis paralysis, or they're just like, it, it just feels foreign unless you've done it. And then for most people, I tell people about 80, about 98% of the time, people, they enjoy it and they enjoy being passive. Some people, they do have to be in the place of control, but uh, you know, control obviously is a limiting factor of how you can grow. If you, if you can, can't 10X your, the amount of deals you're invested in or the amount of money you're, you know, it's, you're limited on what you can do by yourself. But if you, uh, you get into you know, more passive things, what it comes back to that idea of really freedom of time of what you mentioned, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. And think about this too. Like, I mean, we're almost talking about it in black and white terms. It's either or, but yeah. don't think of things no. in terms of either or. Think in terms of things as and. Why not be an active investor in A, B, and C and be a passive investor in D, E, and F? You can, you can have a, a real estate portfolio and be active in it. You can own stock and be passive in it. You can own promissory notes and be passive and you can invest in you know, your syndication and be a passive investor in that. You could, you could actually be, you know, doing both. And it's probably a smart idea to be involved in more than one. So you have a little bit of that investment diversification. Um, you know, as they say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Although, you know, there's an argument to say, yeah, if, if you're really good at something, put all your eggs in one basket and, and grow that basket. Yeah. But, 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 but thinking in terms of and not or. That's a great point. You know, a lot of people that we, uh, actually probably people, a lot of people listen to the show. A lot of them are, are active and they're passive and I'm active and passive. And I'm sure you as well, Marco, you're active and yeah. you're passive. And I think honestly, we should all aspire to be full-time passive investors where we're not doing as much, but if, you know, I also like some of the active things we do as well. And so I think it doesn't have to be necessarily one or the other. Um, let, let's shift gears for a minute here. Let's talk a little bit about, we've got a few more minutes. Uh, talk to us about what you see happening in real estate now, obviously at the time of this uh, recording, we're, you know, mid-November. Um, what, what are you, I mean, rates are rising for a single family house. You know, the payment has gone up substantially. What do you see? Do you still think real estate in general, obviously this is a very broad question, but 
Uh, do you feel like real estate in general, there's some great deals there or do you think, what are some areas of interest or are you waiting or what are you kind of going aggressively out there? Or are you kind of <clears throat> doing a wait and see type of uh, approach right now? Well, yes, mortgage rates like for a 30 year fixed rate conforming loan has gone from roughly, you know, four and a half, five percent to roughly seven, seven and a half percent. So, yes, you know, mortgage rates have risen. Um, prices have been declining in many markets, not every market. A majority of the 150 markets we track, but really it's closer to 500, you know, have seen um, a cooling off. So appreciation rates have slowed down. Um, or, or the, or there have been corrections where prices have been falling. Again, this is very, very market specific, even, uh, even a sub market and even zip code specific, because you could literally pull up a map of a large metro area and see prices appreciating one zip code. And there's a zip code nearby within a few miles that are depreciating. So you see two contrasting things going on. <clears throat> so, so yes, there, there has been quite a bit of a change this year for many reasons. Most, most of it has been because of uh, interest rates rising and mortgage rates rising. But having said all that, I've always said that when you when it comes to investing in real estate, it's not a question of, of when, more so a question of where. Because even in recessionary times or, or market cycles that have been pulling back, there are always opportunities out there to pick up deals in real estate in markets that either cash flow well or markets that are still appreciating or holding steady or a combination of, of two. So not only do we go through um, economic and real estate cycles at a macro level, which is really just a big picture backdrop, but when you zoom in to a local real estate market, you'll see that every market runs independently of each other and there are things going on in each market that, that suggest this is a good time to be investing, this is a good time to be holding, or this is a good time to be selling. So you, you, know, you buy, hold, or sell. That doesn't mean you're a trader. You know, everything's got a long-term horizon, long-term perspective. But the point I, I'm making there is that there are always opportunities to be investing in real estate if it's the, if the deal is right. And, and the deal really comes down to, um, uh, you know, the, the market, the sub-market, the terms on that deal. Does it cash flow? Does, does it have, um, you know, a, a appreciation potential going forward? That's a function of the market's fundamentals and technicals. Uh, and that's just all a fancy way of saying that there's always opportunity out there, just a matter of where you're looking, not so much when you're looking. There are times when there are more deals. There are times when there are fewer deals. Uh, right now, we're seeing less deal flow and fewer markets that are offering good opportunity. But look, we're still moving about 800 properties a year to our investor clients that are completely turnkey, you know, tenant occupied, fully financed, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, investors have not stopped investing in real estate. It's slowed down, but they're still buying a lot of property because the deals are out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's I love that you guys are doing deals and there's always opportunities in any market if you're paying attention and you're just willing to do the work and look for it. So that's so that's great. Um, and what are you um, I guess when when it comes to paying attention, obviously, you know, you and I, are, I think we're both macroeconomic students as well. And we're paying attention to what the Fed is doing. We're paying attention to uh, some of these different factors. Uh, what are just a couple things you think investors should pay attention to when it comes to just the stuff that's going on kind of above real estate, like kind of the global finance and, uh, you know, what Powell's doing with rates and just, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, it depends on what your end goal is and what you're really trying to find out, you know, combing through the fog of, you know, all the uh, economic information out there. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to be, um, in the know 
at a high level if you're an investor, regardless of what you're investing in. So it doesn't hurt to have a general sense of what you know the uh, economic backdrop is. Are we in a recession? You know, and how that might affect you. Now, arguably, we are in a recession. We have been for months. You know, the the mainstream media hasn't really been, you know, talking about it a lot, or you know, you know, you know, breaking news, flashing red light. You know, we're in a recession. That kind of stuff. Thing is, by the time they start talking about that on an on a daily basis, we're already coming out of the recession. You know. Right. Like things right. have turned. It's just, it's not on everybody's radar because, you know, these are all lagging indicators. It might be three months before, you know, we get the next GDP report to say, okay, well, you know, we've, we've now come out of this recession. So, um, but, you know, it, it, it's good to just keep um, a, a 40,000 foot view of what's going on economically. Uh, just keep an eye on, on what the Fed is doing and the rates. The thing is, if the Fed is pumping the brake and they're raising rates to try and control inflation, then you know that mortgage rates, even though they're not directly correlated, mortgage rates are going to stay high or continue to go up. If the Fed takes their foot off the brakes, then we're going to start to see more confidence come into the market and the stock market will start to rally again. Bonds, Bond yields will start to change and mortgage rates will start to normalize or maybe come down. When the Fed starts pushing the gas pedal and they start quantitative easing again, meaning they're they're starting to create credit and, and loose monetary policy, that's when uh, interest rates will start to drop again. Mortgage rates indirectly related to that will start to drop again, and um, uh, and it'll start to juice the the stock market. It'll start to juice the housing market again because affordability will increase. More people will qualify for financing. It brings more people into the market, which increases demand. It'll start to sustain prices or maybe push prices up again in high demand areas. Builders will start to build more again and put more product out on the market. So that's really all you need to really pay attention to. Um, if you're glued to you know, CNN or Fox News or whatever on a daily basis, you're just going to hear a lot of noise about right. what politicians are arguing about on a daily basis. And that drives me nuts. I literally stopped watching you know, mainstream yeah. media news over four years ago. It was the best thing I ever did. Yeah, me too. I don't really watch the news. It's just it's such a distraction. These talking heads, you know, they have opinions on everything and none of it's none of it's relevant or it doesn't really doesn't really matter. Um, I, I'm of the opinion that I think that the Fed will reverse course in the near future, the next three to six or 12 months, potentially just because of a recession or something breaking in the financial system. Do you have any uh, opinions or predictions on what will happen next? Yeah, my 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 opinion is that they will. Um... Uh, take their foot off the brake and start tapping the gas pedal within 12 months. I don't think they can sustain what they're doing for longer than six to 12 months without crushing the U.S. economy. Uh, and the last thing they want is any is to slide into um, a recessionary, a long-term recessionary period, or risk creating a global recession because there's a trickle-down effect. If we go into a long-term recession and our economy is hurt for a long period of time. That just has a domino effect into other 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 people's economies because we're such a large consumer society, the U.S. Well, North America, but the U.S. That if our if our imports are dropping from other countries, it's going to impact those countries. They're going to have their own, you know, accelerated recessions. Uh, it, it's they're really walking a fine line trying to keep inflation in check while at the same time not crush, you know, um, the U.S. economy uh, and at the same time. 
I don't know how much they really care, but impact other countries because you know they've jacked up rates so fast that it far surpassed the rate increases of all other countries. And now the US dollar is so strong compared to other countries that it's hurting them because their their currencies are so weak, you know, that they're hard, having a hard time um doing commerce with the US. So it's it's you know, we truly live in a global economy. Yeah, absolutely. And no, I love that you shared that. And I just did a video recently about uh, the strong dollar and how you can take advantage of it and just, you know, how it's, if you're right, if it gets, it's, it's a fine line, it almost feels like an impossible task, right? How do you control inflation without, you know, really hurting the economy in a way? Cause it's, you know, you're in a way you kind of have to, to really get things under control, but yeah, uh, but that's, that's, uh, I appreciate you sharing that. Well, uh, before we wrap up, uh, Marco, I appreciate you being here with our, our, our group. Um, uh, talk a little bit about what you do. You mentioned turnkey. What are some of the other investments that you are? How do you help passive investors? What are some of the things that you're working on? Well, if the theme of your show is passive investments and you know whatnot, I mean, again, we've talked about syndications like what you do a lot, um, and that's that's a great option for many people. And I think a lot of people invest in in in, in syndications. It's a great way to get into real estate. Uh, Norada Real Estate Investments is a turnkey real estate investment company. And, you know, for actually closing on 19 years now, we've been offering, you know, fully turnkey investment uh, real estate to investors who want to be held by the hand and go through the whole process and have everything done for you, essentially done with you. Um, uh, one of our other companies, which is Norada Capital, is truly passive. They're promissory notes that pay a minimum of 12% per year. It goes up to 15% or more fixed rates of return. And those are paid monthly and investors can invest uh, as, as little as $50,000 uh, and they choose the term that ranges from two to seven years. So um, those are just monthly distributions at the beginning of every month. It's just an auto deposit. Um, and those are backed by our portfolio of 16 companies uh, that are growing literally month after month. So uh, you know that that's that's probably about as passive as it gets in terms of uh, you know, investment capital. And it's great for self-directed retirement accounts, which is what a lot of people have been trying to make changes to because they're scared of the stock market. And they're trying to actually divest to some degree out of the stock market because of all the uncertainty and put it into something that's a little bit more stable with fixed income, like fixed rates of return. So it's a, it's an option for those people. Yeah, that's great. There's definitely choices. And like you said, it may not be one or the other. It could be active and passive or being a little more active or more passive and things. So that's awesome. Well, I encourage everyone to check out uh, Marco's podcast, Passive Real Estate Investing. It's a, it's a top podcast. Really appreciate you being here today, Marco. I appreciate all the value you're adding to the uh, investor community and encourage everybody to reach out and connect with you. What's a good way people can follow you or get in touch with you? Well, I appreciate you asking and thank you, Bronson, for having me on the show. I always love having conversations with you. Um, I don't know when this episode's coming out. I'm literally in the middle of rebuilding my personal website, which is not up, but it's at marcosantarelli.com, essentially my full name, marcosantarelli.com. Uh, in the meantime, uh, noradacapital.com, N-O-R-A-D-A is one way to get a hold of me. And noradarealestate.com is the other way to meet, reach my team and I. So, <laughs> all right, man, man, and many websites there. I love it. Sorry. I love it. That's great. Awesome. Well, thanks, Marco. Appreciate you. Cool. Thank you, Bronson. This has been great. I appreciate it. All right. So, Marco, as you can see, has a lot of things that he's doing stuff in the turnkey space, notes, crypto, all kinds of stuff. And I think uh, the nice thing is that as a passive investor, you don't have to do everything, right? You can be active, you can be passive, but whatever you do, uh, you know, if you continue to learn and continue to grow, it can open up new opportunities and new opportunities for growth. So that's what I loved about it. I love, you know, 
getting involved. He's also around, he kind of talked kind of off air about this. He's really around some amazing people where he's finding great opportunities, great deal flow, finding, you know, just being in the room with people that are doing next level stuff. And that really has helped him to grow as well as an investor. So, um, so anyway, his podcast is a top podcast. I do recommend that you check it out. Um, it's called uh, Passive Real Estate Investing. And he, like he said, he mentioned 19 years of doing this, which is really awesome. So I wanted to just give a shout out for those that have reviewed this show on iTunes. I'm on a campaign right now that it really allows us to get better guests and be able to have guests that, you know, we can continually uh, present to you that are doing big things. And, uh, you know, people like Ken McElroy or Buck Joffrey or some of these, you know, big time guests. So I wanted to read a review for you. Uh, this comes from Alex Linda. As Bronson brings insight to some complicated topics and has wonderful guests and is so generous in sharing his knowledge. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I do. So if you would write a review on iTunes, we will uh, potentially read your review and give you a shout out on this show. But uh, the best investment that you can make is in your own education and congrats, you did it. You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with and you're spending time with Bronson Hill and Marco Santarelli. We'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Mailbox Money. You've been listening to the Mailbox Money Podcast. For more free resources, articles, and videos, go to bronsonequity.com. There you can download your copy of the special report, The Single Best Investment Strategy During and After a Pandemic. None of the information shared here is an offer to buy a specific investment, and this is for educational purposes only. Consult your financial, legal, and tax professionals and use your own common sense before making any investment decisions. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to tune in next time for more Mailbox Money.